Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Are you not happy that your quest is complete and you can return to your studies in Canterbury? Hey there, friends. I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome to another episode of A Nuclear Reading Show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. If you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. And since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda, and Hasbro, me and my little pony, Friendship is Magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 43, The Kingdom of the Blind, Part 1. Rocks. I can't believe this whole war has been about rocks. Gems, coal, rarity says something about a meteorite, but you got all evasive when I realised I'd overheard. Whatever, like it was hard to figure out. Sometimes I'm slow, 
but I'm not stupid. Dumb rocks. I used to think rocks were cool. I mean, Big Sister had gems for a cutie mark, and Pinkie Pie had once lived on a rock farm. We used to even play a game, Scootaloo, Appaloom and me. We found the rock that Rarity had gotten a cutie mark from, and I made Twilight Sparkle enchant it so that we could make it open and close. She kind of owes for the whole smarty pants thing. We called it the Rock of Destiny, and we pretended that when it opened up, it would give us our cutie marks. Twilight made it so each of us could each set a passphrase to open it. Mine was Dumb Rock, so I could pretend I was like my sister. I changed it to Apple Pie for a while, but then I changed it back. Just as well. My sister and I haven't had Apple Pie in a long time. Not since the ministries. I hope you don't mind me using your place. I mean, of course you can't mind, but I hope you don't anyway. Sometimes I just have to get away from all the noise. It's so nice and peaceful here, and I really love your flowers. Anyway, I guess I'm thinking about rocks because we found chunks of that meteorite when we dug into Luna's old foundry under the castle last week. It was all broken up because I'd taken the ore out of it, and they'd sealed up the pieces. I felt kind of sorry for it. Ponies and zebras blame it for all sorts of stupid stuff. It's not the rock's fault. It's just a rock. And I know what it's like being blamed for stuff. Seems sometimes everything I do just makes things worse. So I had to make one of the bigger chunks into a cornerstone. As an apology for something. I don't know. Make it feel useful. Yes, I know that's stupid. It's just a rock. So I guess not dumb rocks. Just dumb ponies and zebras. I came up here yesterday. Building the last stable in the Everfree was my idea. So I wanted to be here. Especially after we started having problems. Rarity said that the Everfree Forest is the one place she was sure the zebras wouldn't attack. So I thought, why are we putting all the stables in places we think they will attack? Doesn't it make sense to put at least one somewhere they won't? Yes, the forest is dangerous. But it can't be that dangerous. You lived here, and my sister and her friends used to go in here all the time. Well, just another of my ideas that ended up a mess. Appleboom had warned me about the poison joke, but was it always this aggressive? It's really been bad the last three days. Moonbeam said it's like the excavation is attracting it. He thinks that either it's vibrosensitive, which isn't even a word, or it wants to be near people. But that doesn't make any sense. It's a plant, right? But then Applebloom says you told her the plants want to laugh. How can a plant want something? I'm sorry. I know I'm rambling. I guess my thoughts aren't too coherent. I'm just trying to work things out. I think... I think we've lost our faith. Does that make any sense? It's like everything we're supposed to believe in has gotten dark and crumbled. Like the air is heavy. No, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. Like, everything is too real. You know, like when you're just a filly, and you look up to someone and they are idle, but then you learn they're not perfect like you imagined. But they're flawed, just like anybody else. Maybe that's just growing up, though. It's like we've forgotten how to have heroes. Only worse, we've forgotten how to believe in each other, in ponies, even Scootaloo. She's trying to fix ponies with all these experiments. I once told Scootaloo I thought she was trying to make ponies like they were when we were kids. You know what she said? She said, nostalgia is mostly make-believe. Isn't that horrible? 
I, um, I've started having second thoughts. Maybe we should stick to saving ponies. Maybe it's not right for us to try to fix things. But then it won't all be for nothing, like Scootaloo says. I don't know anymore. Sometimes these experiments feel, I don't know, wrong. I know they're not dangerous. We've made extra, extra sure. But I still don't feel right to doing experiments on ponies who are just trying to survive. Isn't that wrong? It's not like it's their fault, most of them anyway. The ones in Stable 1, maybe. I just want to save them and give them a chance. Kind of like the rocks, I guess. I even almost told Rarity about the experiments, but I didn't, because, well, I'd be betraying Scootaloo and Applebloom if I told, and I'm not sure Rarity would do the right thing if I told her. I really don't like the Ministry of Image, and if that's what she is now... Today, I did ask Scootaloo if Stable 101 could be made Control Stable instead, but she and Applebloom both insisted the experiment here was too important. And part of me still thinks Scootaloo's right, like maybe we really do have to fix ponies, to figure out what went wrong so everything doesn't get so... so bad again. But how many times do we have to try before we get it right? And what happens if we fail? This time, the cost could be so much more than tree sap and pine needles. Scootaloo's been looking at me funny. I think maybe she knows I'm having second thoughts. Anyway, sorry for all the rambling. Thanks for letting me use your place. And thanks for listening. Applebloom is right. You really are a good person to talk to, Zakora. We're all very, very sad about what happened to you. I hope you're at peace. You better take a look at this. We all stared upwards, our eyes lifted above the dark silhouettes of the forest trees. The sky was a cloudy haze that glowed a hellish orange, lit from the fires that stretched for miles below. Our gazes were fixed on the massive black shadow slowly moving through the ever-free fire sky, brilliant flashes of lightning erupting along its sides. It was moving towards us, but we were not its destination. The overcast. This was a day too soon. Goddess, damn him! Colonel Autumn Leaf was jumping the whistle on his own attack plan. My brother's on that ship! Calamity's tone was dour. I pranced in agitation. This was not good. Why the hell would he? A sudden wave of weariness passed over me. It had been far too long and far too rough a day. I needed sleep, and I wasn't going to get it. Above us, more lightning flashed as the four raptors moored to the overcast began to pull away. Their smaller thunderclouds pulling three of the Thunderhead's warship's massive ones. Two of them began to move ahead, while the other two flanked the mobile siege platform. Okay, I said, spinning around and addressing the others. Change of plan! I looked over the ponies, and Griffin, who had followed me this far, part of me dreaded what I was about to say. A part of me knew it would somehow be this way. We'll have to split up. Before any pony could protest, I explained. The Enclave is moving on the cathedral now. They'll be there in, what, a few hours? I looked at Calamity who nodded at my assessment. And we can't all go. Zenith shouldn't be moved anymore, especially not after Lifebloom uses his spell. With a grudging reluctance, I added. And neither should the Hellhound. 
Velvet Remedy agreed quietly, staring back at her patients. Lifebloom was moving about Zenith's bed, preparing to cast his trepanation spell. Lifebloom and I need to stay, she intoned, sparing me the task of saying it. She smiled to calamity. And you, love, need to go. Pylite, I instructed. Keep them safe. The butterfly phoenix hooted, perching up straight and giving me a one-winged salute. I don't know if I can do this, Calamity admitted. After all he's done, after all the pony's dead, I know Artem needs to be put down, but I don't think I can. He looked at me, his eyes wide and hurting. My own brother. I remembered Pride's change after learning the Enclave had marked Calamity for death. That, in fact, Autumn Leaf, his own brother, had ordered my best friend's execution. Then it's a good thing you're taking me with you, Reggie said flatly. Velvet Remedy gave it a pained look. It's a hard thing going against Kin, Reggie said, to take down your own brother. I don't think I could have done it if Cage had gone bad. Nobody blames you for not taking the shots. Calamity watched her check the load on her guns. Guns he had custom-made for the adolescent griffin. If it helps at all, you'll be put on a stop to his murder in ways even still. It struck me that Reggie viewed those guns as a stand-in for Calamity. A way for him to be part of what he needed to be, but couldn't. Much in the same way she carried Cage's blades. So, Lil Pip, what's the plan? Calamity asked. How the hell are we supposed to make it through miles of fire and whatever else the Everfree is keeping in his back pocket and to get to Red Eye before they do? We don't, I answered him simply. I raised a hoof to the sky, pointing towards the overcast. We're going to hitch a ride on that. Calamity, Reggie and I made our preparations while Lifebloom's horn glowed and he tried to work a miracle. We didn't have a lot of time. He wanted to give the overcast enough time to pass by us, but not enough to move out of sight. This is a stealth mission, I proclaimed, wincing at the groans. Hey, we've got this one in the bag. We've got two stealth cloaks now, I pointed out, counting the albino hellhound's cloak along with Zenith's. And I have the advanced stealth buck. Which only works for a few hours, Velvet Remedy warned. True, but we shouldn't even need it for that. I suggested. Once we get up there, we'll snag a set of Enclave magically powered armor for Calamity, and I'll take the cloak. Oh, crap, Calamity muttered. He dipped his head, tossing off his hat. I can't be bringing this, then. He stared at his trusty black desperado hat. Half of it was badly burned from the buccaneer blaze. To be honest, it no longer looked right on his head. In fact, it made me wince, remembering how painfully hurt he had been. I'll love that hat. I'll take care of it until you get back, Velvet Remedy promised, her words carrying a subtle insistence that he would come back. Brilliant scarlet light flashed over Zenith, then settled in a halo about her head, making her look like a sleeping angel. I remembered how she looked with bat-like wings the day she saved her daughter. The mental images combined strangely. Life Bloom was sweating, straining in focused concentration. Calamity dumped the contents of his saddlebags, which I swear took up more space in the hut than the saddlebags could have possibly held, and had apparently come to include several bottles and jars of desiccated herbs and dust that Calamity had scavenged from the hut itself, insisting he wanted to travel light. You won't fight your brother, but you'll be taking as much of his ship as you can carry, won't you? Ayup. 
Reggie, meanwhile, had decided she was as ready as she could be, and was leaning on the doorway, smoking another cigarette. Velvet Remedy huffed at her. Yeah, right, Reggie said with a roll of her eyes. I shouldn't smoke. Might burn down the forest or something. You could at least show some respect for your health, Velvet commented. Reggie just lifted an eyebrow, and then waved a wing in the direction of the ponies she had chosen to assist. Particularly me. Yeah, I'm well known for making healthy choices. Velvet opened her muzzle, a retort on her tongue, and then closed it again as a look of heartbreaking defeat blanketed her body. It's too late, isn't it? But the smoking army following you lot. Reggie blew a ring of smoke. Why, I see it. If I quit, it'll be like saying I made a mistake and insisted on lending a wing. And that would like me saying Cage made a mistake. And, well, that just ain't gonna happen. Velvet wasn't talking about Reggie's life choices. She turned to me with a horrifying look. Little Pip, please be honest. Her voice was fragile. The fire. How long before it reaches Fluttershy? She swallowed hard. It's already there, isn't it? She's already dead, or... or... My lovely unicorn friend could not bring herself to say what Fluttershy was dying, but it was clear from the pain in her expression that she was imagining Fluttershy burning alive, slowly in utter agony. It was too cruel an end for too cruel a life. I couldn't bring myself to say that, but by my estimate, the fire had been there since nightfall. Maybe it was corrupted kindness to be dishonest about this, but I couldn't tell her the truth. It would destroy her. I opened my muzzle to lie, but I was interrupted before I managed the first word. It doesn't matter, Reggie told her, drawing stares and glares from everyone except Lifebloom, who was too deep in concentration to notice his surroundings. Velvet stared, her muzzle open, her heart tearing apart in front of us. What? Reggie looked taken aback. Oh, wait. She looked at us all. You don't know. Know what? Calamity said carefully. The fire ain't burning trees, Reggie announced. My jaw was not the only one to drop. She looked at us and shook her head. Hell, so it'll be easier if I showed you. I don't think you'd believe me otherwise. What do you mean the fires aren't burning the trees? Just that, Reggie replied. Got a good look after you all ran off and left me half dead in a tree. As she said that, her voice was not accusatory. If anything, she sounded amused. Red Eye's fire brigade pushed past my position. Saw him hose down a moss-covered tree with one of their flamethrowers. I swear on my mother's name that the flames went right through the tree like it wasn't even there. But... Velvet's voice betrayed her desperation. But we saw the trees burning. When we were fighting the Wonderbolts, remember? She looked at me, and I could sense that she wanted me to tell her it was just her imagination. That Reggie was right, and there was nothing to worry about. I thank Luna that this time I didn't need to lie. Those trees were burning because of that trick Skydive pulled. I reminded her. That wasn't from Red Eye's fires. Calamity shook his head, looking at Regina. And you didn't mention this before? Hells, I thought you knew. Besides, I was totally focused on the rest of the freaky. The griffin tossed her cigarette to the floor and ground it under a hindpaw. The tree didn't catch, but the moss on it sure ignited. And then it began to heave and thrash and tear itself off the tree even as I burn up. I swear it looked like it was screaming. I'll have nightmares for weeks. Well, damn. Calamity whistled. The fire isn't burning. Fluttershy's safe? Warring emotions racked Velvet Remedy. Yes. 
I murmured. My eyes going wide as the gears in my mind started turning again. I'd seen the reports of Radai's research into bypass spells. His scientists had been working to apply a bypass to some sort of weapon effect. The full details had been redacted after the research had been successful. Xenifer told me after she'd worked in one of the buildings where they were creating framethrower fuel. But I'd never put the two together. At least for now. For now? Velva's voice was small but hopeful. Red Eye ain't the sort of waste resources, is he, little pip? Calamity asked, clearly following my train of thought. He's cleansing the every forest, but he ain't gonna burn the trees. He wants the lumber. I nodded. I could see a calculating light in Velvet's eyes. Her quest now had a timeline that she could see. Zenith had to recover. Then they had to brew a remedy that would save Fluttershy before Red Eye's forces finished burning the forest and proceeded far enough in their harvesting to reach the top of the Killing Joke Hill. You want this? The hellhound interrupted abruptly, holding up his zebra stealth cloak. His bindings lay useless around him. You're not getting it unless you give me something back. There was a dangerous glint in his eyes. What do you want in return for your generous offer? Velvet asked diplomatically as she pointed and looked at the stump of a leg, which she treated and dressed. Them's claw blades. The hellhound barked, pointing at Cage's hellhound claw knives strapped in Reggie's belt. Oh, hells no! The young griffin flew almost within claw's reach of the hellhound, her guns drawn before she was yanked short, her tail in Calamity's teeth. These are my brothers. A figure they belonged to one of our brothers before him. The hellhound growled back, unimpressed and vicious. Oh, just hold on. Calamity came as close as shouting as he could without letting Reg's tail out of his mouth. I figure we can shoot you and have both. He shifted pointing his battle saddle at the hellhound. Being amputee had not made him any less dangerous. The albino hellhound was swifter than any of us expected. He had an armour and velvet remedy. His claws, sharp and strong enough to slice metal, right against her face. Their barest touch was drawing blood. Velvet eeped sharply. How fast? He challenged coldly. I levitated a little Macintosh in front of me. Let her go real gentle. Oh, you're so amazingly dead it won't matter. Astonishingly, the crippled hellhound stared down the five guns pointed at him and didn't blink. Velvet's horn flashed. The hellhound dropped limply back onto his bed, one of his claws sliding across Velvet's face as his hand fell away. Blood gushed from the wound, staggering her. Don't shoot him, she ordered as she stumbled back, holding a hoof to her face. The claw had barely missed slicing open one of her eyes. Little Pip, your spell, please. We'd used up all the healing bandages and potions that we had. There was nothing left to aid Velvet with but the dark spell I'd been granted by the Black Book. Once again, I let myself draw on that knowledge to create a cast from Velvet's own blood, wrapping half of her head in a ruddy mask. Calamity rushed to Velvet's side, shoring her up. He growled at the hellhound and clearly, really, really wanted to shoot the monster. But Velvet wouldn't let him. Instead... She turned to her attacker and spoke with a touch of sympathy. I completely agree with how abhorrent it is that some ponies have made weapons out of your kind's body parts. She looked to us with the one eye not hidden under solidified blood. And anybody here who doesn't should try to imagine seeing a creature wielding a weapon made of pony hooves. Addressing the extremely pissed-looking albino again. So, in trade for use of your cloak, we're giving you this. Her horn glowed and Zenith's hellhound claw helmet floated over and rested upon the albino hellhound's chest. 
ignoring the strangled sound of protest from Calamity. But you will not be taking Cage Grimfeather's blades from Regina, she added sternly, and I am sorry. She frowned. And for your aggression, you'll be spending the rest of our time together under the effects of this spell. It is never intelligent to attack your doctor. Velvet Remedy stepped away. Then her knees gave a little tremble. A moment later, she had dropped to them, breathing heavily, letting a panic wash over her now the crisis had passed. Calamity laid down next to her and held her, nuzzling her gently. She buried her face in his mane, shedding tears born from the roller coaster of hope, despair, and mortal danger that the last few minutes had thrown my friend through. The scarlet glow faded, and life blooms staggered, slumping to the floor next to Zenith. Pulling her muzzle out of Calamity's orange mane, Velvet Remedy immediately bombarded Lifebloom with questions about how it went. The only answer he could give was a weak, We shall see. It is up to her now. Then she'll pull through, Velvet proclaimed, her breathing still a little shaky. She seemed to draw strength from caring for her friends. Zenith's a fighter, a survivor, more than you could know. I discovered I was smiling, just a little. Somewhere... Somepony gave what sounded like a polite cough. I caught Reg's movement out of the corner of my eye. She drew her guns at the speed of Rainbow Dash and had the twins pointed out of the doorway in front of her. We got company, she warned, growling. Damn it. I was so hoping the Enclave would pass the Cora's hut without taking interest. I really didn't want to fight right now. Velvet moaned. Behind me, Lifebloom was trying to get up, but he was too exhausted to stand barely able to keep his eyes open. Enclave? he asked. Pilate swept across the room to perch on Reggie's head, glaring out of the door with her. No, Reggie said, wincing at Pilate's talons. Red Eye, one of his damn sprite bots. True, it made sense he'd have something wandering this close to his home base, but I heard no music. Watcher? Wait, I called out, waving. Hold your fire, this might be a friendly... Thunder rumbled overhead like the steady beat of war drums. The overcast was passing directly above us, the massive siege platform blocking out the fiery light reflecting off the clouds of smoke. The flowers ringing Zakora's hut seemed to shed more beautiful bioluminescence in the deeper darkness. Colonel Autumn Leaf was either oblivious to our presence, or he was too focused now to care. It has been a long time since my home felt crowded. Watcher was saying, with the mechanical monotone of his sprite bot, I couldn't tell if he was pleased or complaining. At least half of the people you asked me to gather have already arrived. Huh? Calamity blinked. Little Pip, you asked him to what now? We don't have enough time. I told my Pegasus friend bluntly. The Enclave is moving too fast. I can't be everywhere at once. Truth was, I was about to ask even more of Spike, and he wasn't going to like it. Don't you mean we? Calamity asked pointedly. My little pony scowled at me and virtually grabbed my head, making me nod apologetically. Yes, but that's kind of the point, I offered lamely. We need every ally we can get if we're going to pull this off. And note you still haven't filled us in on exactly what this plan of yours is, Calamity groused. I'm trusting there's a good reason for that. There is, I assured him. Yeah, great reason. You tried to stop me if you knew. In the meantime... I've asked Roger to contact all of the people we know who can help and start bringing them together. I'm afraid I have some bad news.
Smart just said through the Sprite bot, "One of your guests isn't going to be able to make it." I felt an icy cold wash through my mane. The obvious implication was that someone had died. Who? I asked. The little pony in my head suggesting we really didn't want to know. What happened? Homage. Watcher said, and my world plunged out from under me, leaving me in a numbingly cold void. Luna, no. The sensation was as intense as it was brief, dispelled by Watcher's next words. And nothing yet. But the Enclave has figured out that DJ Pwn Three is moving from one SPP tower to another, hacking in to make those broadcasts, and they've started parking Raptors above each of the towers, just waiting for her to make her next move. Thank you, Luna. Celestia, please keep her safe. A huge part of me wanted to dash off to her aid, but doing so could lead the enemy right to her, and I knew she would not approve of me abandoning the good fight just to make it to her side. Fortunately. The enclave doesn't have enough raptors to spare for every tower, and she's not making it easy for them. Watcher explained, but the dragnet is eventually going to catch her. Not if we can help it. Calamity stepped up beside me, putting a hoof on my head. If I know little Pip, this planaris is going to pull the heat off her homage in a big way. I gave him a worried but thankful smile. He was right about that. We had to win now. We always had to. But now it was for more than just the wasteland. Now I was fighting to keep Amarge safe. I realized how horribly selfish it was of me to place the safety of one pony as equal to the needs of tens or even hundreds of thousands of ponies. But I didn't care. Amarge was Amarge was Amarge, and I was allowed to be just a little selfish when it came to her, wasn't I? Amarge herself insisted that she can't make it. She doesn't want to risk drawing the enclave to the rest of. The resistance is what she is calling you guys. Resistance radio. That's what the Tempony residents had taken to calling DJ Pwn Three's broadcasts. Clearly, she'd adopted the moniker. I'll try to have a spy bot nearby so she can talk to us. Watcher offered, and she told me to tell you she is sending more allies your way. Allies are good. I liked allies. We could use all the friends we could get. And then reality struck. The blow hit me, cold, sharp, and hard, nearly knocking me over. Part of me had been clinging to the belief that I would see Omar again when I gathered everyone together at Spike's Cave, and that final gathering before I set my plan into action, a final respite before I galloped headlong into my destiny. But Omar, the one pony I wanted and needed to see the most, was not going to be there. At most, I might hear her voice. Speak to her, but she would not be there to touch, to hold, to kiss goodbye. My legs were wet noodles, utterly unable to hold the titanic weight of my breaking heart. I was never going to see Amarge again. With a burst of static, the sprite bot started playing the heavy, ominous music of the Enclave. Watcher was gone. His time was up. I barely noticed. I was too busy crying my heart out. The drumming of the overcast thunderclouds was receding. There was no more time. We needed to go. I realized I could still hear the low horns and booming drums, the mournful tones of violins, the music from the sprite bot. It hadn't wandered away. It was watching us. I knew there was no way that Red Eye had been using these things for so long, 
had been running operations in Philadelphia from a Ministry of Morale hub without knowing that these machines could be used to spy. Grim resolve flooded through me, droning out the agony in my heart. Not killing it, but just letting me not feel it for a while. I pushed myself up and strode determinately over to where the sprite bot was floating amongst the trees, still within the sight of Zakora's hut. Red Eye knew where we were, knew where to find us. I wanted to make it clear that that wasn't necessary. We're coming! I told the sprite bot, sure that I was all but addressing Red Eye directly. That's what you wanted, right? The sprite bot kept playing music. I stared at it for a long minute, maybe two, before turning away in disgust. Calamity, Reggie, let's go hit yourselves a ride! I started to walk away from the sprite bot, and then stopped. I trotted back around to it, my horn glowing softly as I announced, Sorry, I have to kill you. This time, however, I wasn't addressing Red Eye, but the sprite bot itself. My pip leg was still dead, and I was going to use this little spy machine to reboot it. My telekinesis opened the little repair hatch on the sprite bot and yanked its spark battery. The sprite bot dropped like a stone, dead, or the robot equivalent of dead. Sitting, I proceeded to disconnect the audio and video feeds and then bring it back to life. A robot vegetable, or something like that, whatever. Stupid robots making all my metaphors awkward. I looked down to where my pit leg was grotesquely melded into my foreleg. Miserably, I realised that maybe it was for the best that Homage never saw me again. Let her last memories of me be before the Balefire bomb. Before Cantalot. Before Arbu. Life Bloom approached me as I was rebooting my pit leg. I assumed he was going to offer me comfort or ask a question about Watcher or the Gathering. I preempted the conversation, some pony out on my mind. How did you meet Homage? My voice sounded small to me. I didn't have the will to hide the sadness that was leaking into it. Life Bloom paused, then sat down next to me. The Twilight Society assigned her to me, he told me. They thought I would be able to connect with her. Leaning forward on his forehooves, Life Bloom gave me the story. When she first gained residency in Temponi Tower, she was in mourning. She'd lost the mare she loved, and she didn't know if she could ever find love again. He smiled gently. I'm happy to see that she was wrong. That only made it hurt worse. My heart was bleeding onto the ground, and I could feel the tears building up behind my eyes. They felt like fire. Even worse, the little pony in my head didn't want to hear about Omaja's past loves. Of course, she had to have at least had one. You can't get to be as good as she was without practice, right? But I like being able to pretend otherwise, even though I knew better, even though I was pretty sure I knew who it was. Joke Blue I wasn't going to be jealous, not of Amarja's dead beloved. I refused to be that horrible. We were the same age, and I'd suffered loss of my own that the others in the Twilight Society thought were similar. Life Loom continued, his tone suggesting that the society was in error of that supposition. He explained, I was kicked out of the Republic after they discovered I had a preference for stallions. I blinked in surprise. What? The Republic, I remembered, was the little town that the raiders from Fluttershy's Cottage had massacred. A bizarre, cult-like group of weirdos, but not bad ponies, according to the Wasteland Crusaders. They kicked you out because of that? I was astounded. Since my youth, 
I had been resigned to my feelings for mares, lowering my prospects for finding love. But I'd never experienced actual prejudice because of it. I couldn't even fathom that. Why? Why would they even care? For the same reason, I reckon that the Enclave rewards it, Calamity said, approaching us. His words prompting another, wait, what? From the little pony in my head. Population control. Small place like the Republic, I bet they needed as many babies as they could get. Lifebloom nodded, frowning. And if I wasn't going to contribute to the growth of the Republic, I wasn't wanted. And the Enclave? I asked, driven by morbid curiosity. My pip-leg hummed to life, the screen flashing status reports. I brought up my EFS and checked the most critical readouts. There's only so much cropland above the cloud curtain, on all of it around those towers. Too many pekasa means famine. The Enclave keeps real tight reins on childbirth. Officially, y'all are probably dead already. Calamity had told Tracker and the other pegasi knew Appaloosa. By the weekend, the Enclave will have delivered condolences and new birth approval certificates to your families. Being allowed an extra foal is one of those perks a Pegasus gets for enlisting with the Enclave, Calamity admitted. So while there's nothing official, the Enclave has a little extra appreciation for those officers who won't be taking advantage of their benefits. I sat and thought about that for a moment, then shook it off like a wet coat. We really need to go. I stood up, looking down to Life Bloom. But when we get back, I want to hear everything you can tell me about Amage. He gave me an odd look. I'm not prying, I explained. I just... I miss her. Within minutes, we were soaring through the smoke. Beneath us, we could see the flames burning through the forest. True to Reggie's claim, the trees were not burning, although occasionally it appeared as they were moss or vines clinging to them were created. We were all wearing scarves to protect us from the worst of the smoke but it only mitigated the foulness. My lungs burned, my eyes were stinging and felt hot in my skull. Most of that was from the smoke, but not all of it. I was exhausted, even more so after hearing Watcher's soul-crushing news. It took massive, almost monumental effort just to keep my eyes open. I yelped as something struck my left hind hoof, a lancing pain followed by a burning sensation. I lifted it, spotting a dart-like thorn impaling the underside of my hoof. The burning increased. Poison. God dang it! Calamity hollered, banking sharply as the air filled with more plant spikes. A patch of forest vegetation was shooting at us. Goddesses, I hated this forest. The plants stopped shooting as the fires reached them. Calamity braved thicker smoke in an effort to keep us out of the range of any more of the Everfree's hostile plant life. The fire in my hoof started to climb up my leg, achingly painful, but I'd suffered so much worse. Hell, I'd been set on fire by a dragon. Compared to that, hell, compared to the plethora of hurts from the battle with the Wonderbolts, the plant spike poison was trivial. We were catching up to the overcast, but it was taking time. I held off activating the MG Stealth Buck 2 for fear that it would run out before we had secured a hiding place on the Thunderhead. I closed my eyes for a few minutes. I was using my levitation to make myself weightless in Calamity's arms. I felt safe there. I could close my eyes for just a minute. I was Rainbow Dash. The clouds were a beautiful white, fluffy and soft under my hooves, and they stretched out forever beneath the warm glow of Celestia's sun. I could see colourful pegasi flitting and flying about. There was a town nearby, 
but I wasn't looking at it. I didn't want to. Instead, I looked at the ocean of white that rolled out beneath a canopy of brightest blue. I was Rainbow Dash, and I was not a happy pony. Everywhere under those clouds was Equestria, or what was left of it. Everywhere beneath was a nightmarish hell, where those ponies unfortunate enough to not be in the stables and not be killed in the onslaught were struggling and dying. And I was watching ponies fly about, happily ignoring what was out of sight beneath what some ponies were beginning to call the cloud curtain. It wasn't right. Never mind that all my friends, all of them, were somewhere down there, and I didn't know if they were dead or alive. I couldn't just live up here and pretend Equestria didn't exist anymore. I could understand the temptation, true, but I wasn't that kind of pony. And it hurt more than my heart could bear that apparently the rest of the Pegasi were willing to be. I wanted to be disgusted with all of them. I just felt sad. I was Rainbow Dash, and I was ashamed to be a Pegasus. If this was what being a Pegasus meant now, well, maybe it was time for me to go. I felt my wings flap, slowly lifting my hooves off the clouds. I loved flying, but today I could barely find the inspiration to lift myself. My head drooped low, my body hanging from the wings like a dead weight. My hooves brushed against the clouds as I began to move. I turned around, my back to the colourful flying ponies, took one last glance before flying away. I woke in a coughing fit violent enough that Calamity crushed me to him in order to keep me from jerking out of his forelegs. Below us, we were passing over part of the fire brigade moving through an already burned part of the forest. I watched as a unicorn marched forward before a ring of red-eyes griffins, her horn glowing. The glow spread out over the ground in front of her, lighting up a large swathe of the blackened forest floor. A moment later, the ground churned, tearing itself apart. The griffins swept forward with their flamethrowers, setting ablaze to the tangles of blue vines that the unicorn's tilling spell had uncovered. Whoa there, little babe, Calamity comforted. You okay there? Yes, sorry. I apologised, bringing my levitating field back up around me. I dozed off. Yeah, I reckon when we get a bard, we're going to find a place to lay low and you're going to take a nap. Ahead of us, the overcast loomed closer. We would be on it within a few minutes. You might only get a few hours, but that's a couple hours better than none. I turned on my advanced stealth buck. We were getting close enough that all of us needed to be invisible. Reggie and Calamity followed suit donning the hoods of their zebra stealth cloaks. A strange silhouette shot out of the sky, a dark figure the size and shape of a pony, but with leathery bat-like wings that reminded me strongly of Zenith and her flying amulet, and impacted one of the raptors like a bullet. What the hell was that? Reggie's voice blurted. Either of you see that too? The raptor began to veer off, moving away from the thunderhead. I floated my ear bloom into my ear and quickly sought out the Enclave's military channel, being breached. I repeat, we have unknown hostiles aboard. The voice from the Raptors' communications officer sounded professional, unconcerned, even bored. Disengaging from position to deal with the intruders. The overcast was still hours away from the cathedral, and attacks were already starting. I had no doubt that Red Eye was behind this attack, but something wasn't right. Sending a single creature against them wasn't going to stop them. It wouldn't even slow them down that it wasn't even intended to. Acknowledge Raptor Lenticular. Rendezvous the target as soon as we have exterminated the infestation. I suspected, rather, 
that Radai was just looking to soften the enclave up a bit before pulling whatever big surprise he had hidden beneath his cloak. We'll take you on to Overcast. This time, the officer's voice sounded panicked. It's the demon. I repeat, the demon is on board. The what now? Reggie started to say something, but I waved a hoof to her to be quiet, which in retrospect was really silly since I was invisible. My attention fully on the conversation in my ear bloom. Overcast in particular, please confirm. Are you reporting that the monster which Daniel Martin says? The officer aboard the Overcast never got to finish his question, much less get an answer. A loud whine tore at my eardrum, and the Enclave's interwarship military channel became death. I bucked in Calamity's grip, my vision going red as agony tore through my brain and took hold of my horn. I quickly shut off my Piplag's radio, gasping and wiping blood from my eyes. Whatever was aboard the Lenticular had just infected the military channel with the Cantalot signal. By Luna's mane. We had run into corrupted broadcasters in Zebratown. Even with Cantalot itself gone, any broadcaster that survived would still create a zone of malignant noise. Hell, I still had one of those in my saddlebags. It had never occurred to me that somebody might think to use one of those devices to actually broadcast across a normal channel. Fortunately for the Enclave, all they had to do to survive was turn their radios off. But this meant they were about to fly into battle against Red Eye's forces without communications. The battle was engaged. Burning in my hoof had consumed my entire left leg before fading dully. My leg felt stiff and swollen, but the worst seemed to be over. The plant spike poison was far from lethal, at least not anything larger than a rabbit. Aside from the earlier plant attack, the stealth mission seemed to be going perfectly. No pony shot at us as we drew close behind the overcast. All the Thunderhead's dangerous magical weapons were pointing forward. We just needed to fly up to a hatch, pick the lock and slip inside and with Calamity's knowledge of the Thunderheads, we found a hatch in no time. I cursed the Enclave, the Pegasi, and the entire concept of wings the moment I saw it. Fucking Cloudlocks. Ain't gonna be able to pick this one, Calamity said, his voice muffled. I wasn't sure if he was talking about himself or me. Probably both. Rainbow? I called out as loudly as I dared to, this close to the overcast. Dash! came the muffled response. Unlike stealth bucks, the zebra cloaks dampened sound. It was impossible to tell where Reggie was, but at least she was still close. Okay, back up plan, Calamity announced, just loud enough for Reggie, we hoped, to hear. We couldn't actually be sure where the griffin was, and had already resorted to call-response navigating. I'd begun to regret not using rope to tie ourselves together. We get up above this thing, near one of the landing bays, and wait for someone to open a door. With that... Calamity beat his wings, drawing us higher. Below us, the hatch hissed open. Coming! The muffled voice of the griffin asked. I tried to exchange a look with Calamity, and of course totally failed. Honestly, where you to act? You think Little Pip is the only person in the entire wasteland who can pick a lock? We were inside the corridors of the Overcast the thrumming of its thunderclouds rumbling against its hull. The vibration mixed with the hum of the lights. The hum seemed deeper here than in the raptor pyrocluminous or inside the stables. More ominous. But that could have just been my imagination. The voices of Pegasus ponies were omnipresent in all but the most isolated passageways. The corridors were painted black, making the lights seem to provide stunted illumination. 
coloured stripes ran down the middle of walls like an abbreviated rainbow, the paint reflecting the light that the rest of the walls absorbed, making them seem to glow. The coloured lines weren't solid, but had slanted breaks, and they would change, dropping away or being added as we moved through the ship. I gleaned that they were some sort of colour-coded guidance strips that would tell an enclave Pegasus if the hallway they were in would take them to the section of the massive ship that they wanted. There were monitors placed at intervals along the wall, each glowing with the enclave's symbol. An emblem of clouds and wings with a pair of eyes gazing out from the shelter of an arch, green and purple on black. We moved quietly, holding each other by the tails, Calamity taking the lead. My hind leg made walking unpleasant and a little difficult. Fortunately, sneaking through the bowels of the overcast didn't require me to run. I felt awkward and uncomfortably warm with Regina Grimfeathers biting my tail. I tried to focus forward and immediately regretted it. It tasted like Calamity hadn't washed his tail in weeks. I knew that couldn't actually be true. Velvet would never stand for it. But that didn't change anything. I fought a slowly losing battle against my gag reflex. I survived about five minutes and two floors, waiting until we had reached a secluded stairwell before I had to spit out my friend's tail and dry heave in a corner. I felt Regina spit out my own tail, snarking, Yeah, like yours was a picnic! If I was beginning to understand the overcast's guidance scheme, the striping that flanked the metal stairs suggested we were midway between the barracks and the overcast's medical bay, with a longer path towards the officer's quarters. I would have suggested such a stairwell to be in heavy use, but it was utterly empty. Hang on here, little pip, Calamity ordered. I'll go round me up some enclave armour. The barracks are on the floor below, opposite the rec centre. We'd skirted what Calamity referred to as the rec centre on our way to the stairwell, getting a good look at it through a set of observation windows. It was a large, three-storey open room filled with mares and stallions exercising, lifting weights, and even flying through obstacle hoops, all out of armour and uniform. A third of the room was a cloudball court, and there had been nearly two dozen sweaty enclave mares and stallions faced off in a friendly game. I'll admit, watching some of those mares temporarily distracted me from the concentrated disgusting in my mouth. It made sense that the ponies down there had suits of armour nearby, but... Alone? Into the barracks? Reggie asked, echoing my concern before I had fully formed it. But then she added, How about we wait for one of those next enclave bastards to come down those stairs and take him out? I'll use Cage's knives, real quick and quiet. No! I insisted, taken aback. Fighting the enclave in battle was one thing, but that... That was murder. My brother needs to be pulled down, yeah, Calamity said sternly. But most of those ponies ain't evil. They're just following orders. We ain't killing any pony we don't have to. None of those ponies are innocent, Reggie hissed. Some of those ponies might be, Calamity countered. And I don't recall the overcast getting directly involved in the fadden anyway yet. That's not how we do things, I added, only for Reggie to scoff. Oh, please, Reggie ridiculated. I'm a child of God, remember? I know all about what you did at Shattered Hoof. You're an assassin when it suits your cause. I flinched. I really, really didn't want to think of myself that way. But Regina was right, and I deserved the sucker punch to my self-image to knock me off my pedestal. Still mentally smarting, I changed tactic. Okay, you're right, but so is Calamity. We've already seen crew rebellions. There's a chance that many of these ponies would side with us, given half a chance and a touch of perspective.
but they sure as hell won't if you start slitting their throats in the stairwell. Reggie seemed to accept this. She fell silent. I moved amongst a few enclave crates beneath the stairwell and laid down, beginning to drift to sleep. Calamity, I assumed, moved off to fetch the armour. I couldn't really tell, but it was a safe assumption. But either way, he and Regina weren't arguing or bringing up unpleasant points of morality anymore. Peace and quiet. Time for a nap. Too quiet. Rainbow? I whispered. Dash! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I woke up when Calamity returned with the Enclave armor, and if I were to guess... Most of the medical bay. I went smoothly, he said, slipping off the zebra cloak and passing it to me. I reached out for it and realised I could see my arm. The MG Stealth Buck 2 had drained while I slept. Fortunately, no pony, or at least no pony observant, had used the stairwell since then. Wait, how long was I out? Long enough for him to make a few trips, Reggie teased from someplace nearby. Figure we ought to let you sleep. Reggie shifted her attention to Calamity. Don't you think your brother's going to notice this whole damn ship is missing? I could have sworn one of the goddesses had a love of ironic timing. Before Calamity could answer, we heard a door open several floors above us. Music flooded into the stairwell, hidden speakers coming alive at their entrance, pouring haunting orchestral music with an exquisite cello performance as its centerpiece. Oh, hell! Calamity moaned softly. It's Arnhem! At my querying look, he explained, who else would have the whole ship rigged to have classical music wherever he goes? I noticed that he positioned himself, wings spread, so that he would feel if Reggie tried to pass him. I wasn't sure if he intended to stop the griffin, or just wanted forewarning. Voices echoed down the stairwell. Again, sir, my deepest apologies, the mayor said, almost whining. I still can't understand how that monster got past us. Teleportation, no doubt. Autumn Leaf replied, his tone hard. Two of those beasts that tried to breach Navara a few years back were teleporters. He added, That little spell proved no help to either of them. Sir, you know this is a trap, a mare's voice was saying. Of course it's a trap. The stallion's voice replied smooth as glass. Unlike Calamity's other brothers, there was no trace of his family's accent. Red Eye is calling me out. There is simply no other explanation for that. Autumn Leaf's voice twisted in a snarl. Mental violation. My head was spinning. 
unless I was gravely misinterpreting what I was hearing, I hadn't been the only one that Red-Eyes Alagorns had tested with that vile mental rape. Autumn Leaf sternly announced, I do not intend to disappoint him. I now understood what pushed Autumn Leaf to jump the whistle. Sir, the mayor pleaded, her voice was drawing closer. With all due respect, I believe it will be a grave error for you to enter the battle yourself like this. I do not doubt it, responded the Pegasus, who brought so much harm and devastation and death to the equestrian wasteland. But there are some transgressions that absolutely require a personal reckoning. I heard another door open above us. If I die, Colonel Autumn Leaf instructed, or if I am taken hostage, you have your orders. His voice receded as the two ponies walked away. I barely caught him add, Besides, Red Eye is not going to see this coming. The door split shut. When it closed, the virtual classical orchestra evaporated, plunging the stairwell into an oppressive silence. Rainbow? I asked cautiously. There was no dash. I listened to my ear bloom as I drank another of the healing potions Calamity had pilfered, blinking away blood-tinged tears. My headache and hornache receded and disappeared completely. At least we were going into this magically restored to complete health. Even the swelling in my leg was almost completely gone. Cantalot static from the raptor lenticular was still flooding the enclave into warship channel. The fact that the lenticular had managed to neither shut down its comoray nor get far enough away from the overcast to be outside its range suggested the enclave aboard had not been successful in dealing with the demon. I was willing to bet at least one of the other raptors were trying to hunt the lenticular down, but without communications, there was no easy way for them to coordinate efforts. I pictured enclave soldiers flying between ships, relaying messages. I'd switched away from the channel as soon as I'd heard it, but the concentrated blast of cantalot static had still taken its toll. Now I was switching to other transmissions. The Enclave's Hellhound Control broadcast, the intraship classical music station, or cello, all the time. Red Eyes broadcast, straight from the cathedral, Sons Towers, and thus free from Enclave takeover. And finally, the normal Wasteland broadcast. All Enclave, almost all the time. Still no sound of Reggie. It had been 15 minutes. I got a few ice-cold sparkle colas in the rucksack over there, Calamity pointed. That's almost as good as another couple hours of sleep, I reckon. He turned to the enclave crates under the stairs, opening the first unlocked one. Ooh, he whistled. Grenades! I began to dig through the sack in question as the dour tones of fancy horns and kettle drums played in my ear. You really need a pit buck! I whispered to Calamity with a chuckle. In his kleptomaniac enthusiasm, he dumped the contents of who knew how many medical boxes and enclave crates into his saddlebags and even more into military rucksacks. If the inventory sorter alone. The song on the radio changed. The new one was heavy on the string section. Oh, shoot, Calamity said, face-hoofing his armor-clad hoof against his helmet with a thunk. The armor's got one of those. Clearly, it had been a while since he'd properly used Enclave armor. The few times I'd seen him use his own suit, with the exception of a brief stint in Old Olney, he'd always had the helmet off. I smirked, about to say something witty, when I found the ice-cold sparkle cola. Beside it, a couple tins of mintals. I stared, feeling a moment of cold shock. Calamity? I asked, 
trying to sound casual. Did you even look at the stuff you were taking? Nope, he said. I could almost feel his grin through the helmet. He had no idea what I'd just seen. Reckon if Adam wants it, best I have it. Right. I looked back into the rucksack, my mind insisting on replaying the taste of party time mintels, the feelings of competence and intelligence, the certainty. I took the ice-cold sparkle collar in my teeth and telekinetically zipped the rucksack shut, the little pony in my head echoing calamity. Nope. I got to mentally celebrate my little victory for about a minute before I heard a door open below us. A pair of lightly armed enclave officers strode by, trotting up the stairs. Calamity whisked his scorpion-like armoured tail around in a salute. One of the officers saluted back. I watched him disappear up the metal stairs, following the line that led towards the officers' quarters without even noticing it. Once they were well away, I shifted my attention back to Calamity. I've got a question for you, I said as I opened the frosty sparkle cola, enjoying the little fizzy hiss it made and the aroma of carrot and colaness. All right, he said, alleviating another crate of its cargo which in this case included some pony's wing boner magazine collection, three hot plates, 17 pre-war bits, and a copy of the pre-war book, Give Peas a Chance, The Vegetarian's Guide to Cooking. Shoot! Remembering Reggie's snide remark about carrying healing potions, I started to telekinetically fill my saddlebags with a healthy supply from the rucksack. What kind of defences does the Enclave have around the SPP Central Hub? I questioned before tipping back the collar and taking a swig. Yay, carrots! I knew the hub itself had defences, the most significant being the shield surrounding the entire structure. But those were not under the Enclave's control. The single Pegasus project was the core of the Enclave's grip on the heavens. Even if no pony could get inside the central hub, I had to assume the Enclave had guards or at least some kind of warning system. You mean Navarro? Calamity asked. I almost choked on the taste of fizzy carrots. The healing potion I'd been levitating hit the floor. Navarro! I asked back slowly, setting the cola safely back on one of the Enclave crates. Son of a... Calamity nickered, giving a stomp. That's your plan? He asked, spreading his wings. You want to take on the Enclave's biggest military base? Oh, fuck. The base with the Thunderhead permanently parked overhead? Fuck is he fuck. The base where my father serves as a drill sergeant? Luna shoved my cunt full of moon rocks and called me home. The Enclave had built a whole damn base around it. Stealth mission? He asked, betraying the ludicrousness of my idea. Are we just planning a full frontal assault? I opened my muzzle to reply, but all that came out was a squeak. Hey, yep, this is going to be barrels of fun. He would have said more, but the sound of another door opening prompted him to clam up. We both waited, listening, striving to hear whether or not the pony or ponies who just entered the stairwell were heading our way. Our ears were only greeted with silence. Moments later, we heard Reggie's muffled hiss. Dash! Calamity's wings drooped. My brother? He asked, hesitating to speak further. Still alive, I'm afraid, Reggie admitted. Sorry, I got distracted. Distracted? I found they got prisoners in here, Reggie explained. Anybody up for breaking them free? Calamity chuckled. Welcome to the team! One Pegasus in Enclave armor, on a ship full of Enclave Pegasi, flanked by two invisible and virtually inaudible companions. If we didn't pull this off, we didn't deserve to win. 
the enclave music in my ear bloom had changed again. This one sounded like a dirge. Howdy, partner! Calamity called out jovial as he trotted up to the mare at the guard station outside the ship's brig. I so wanted to face Huff. Bored yet? Hover and identify, the guard Pegasus ordered rotely. Winchier! Calamity lied swiftly. Superior communications officer, transferred from the Glarius Dar last week. That was a dangerous gamble. If the mayor knew about the colonel's family, using his brother's name and rank would give his story a sense of legitimacy. After all, it was understandable that Colonel Autumn Leaf might want his brothers on his ship for this operation, and Calamity's accent lent credence to the claim. Would she buy a superior communications officer wearing Enclave armor rather than an officer's uniform? I had to trust Calamity's instincts and Enclave experience on that. However, if she knew what Autumn Leaf's brothers looked like, then not only would any glimpse beneath that armour tell her that Calamity was lying, but she would know his palette matched one of Autumn's other brothers, the one who was branded a traitor, the one that the Enclave was to kill on sight. Calamity's ruse could not have put the mayor in perfect frame of mind to guess his actual identity. Superior communications officer? The mayor asked, immediately rendering my worries pointless. So maybe you can tell me what the hay is going on with the raptor lenticular? She gave Calamity an exasperated look. I mean, we've got the ship's tag, right? And even if the infiltrators manage to take it out, we've got the tags for every pony in a suit of armour on board. Why don't we just find the damn raptor and blow it out of the sky? Because we have raptors to spare, right? Calamity chided as he trotted up to the mare. And the ship ain't turned around to attack us yet. And I reckon that means this will help our forces and we'll keep control. As for tracking it down, my bets are the infiltrators not actually having the channel for our communications. The control for the door had a cloud interface and required a code. Reggie and I teamed up to hack it. Her talons, my savvy. While Calamity kept the guard mare busy. He shook his carapace helmeted head. Nope, it's much more likely they're blasting that necronized broadband, flooding every single coming out of the lenticular, jamming the tags. Calamity whinnied. Hell, that might be the whole point, and screwing up our comms is just assing on the cupcake. The password was Fluffykins. I wasn't sure what to think of that. So the demon is really, well, a demon? The mayor asked. I heard a rumor that it's a monster released from hell by the Balefire Bombs. I don't believe in demons. Calamity replied, no more than I believe in goddesses. Why I see it, we don't need forces to blame for making the world a shittier place. We do that well enough by our own hooves. I positioned myself behind the mare and slipped off my hood, giving Calamity a signal. Reggie entered the code while Calamity kept the guard's attention. There was the faintest whir as the lock cycled. Our Pegasus friend moved up to the mare, speaking more loudly to cover the sound. I'm sure the so-called demon was nothing more than a pony. He said in a tone that suggested what he was saying was more than just his opinion. It was the Enclave line, and the mayor was expected to believe it. Or some monster twisted up by byproducts of the war. Reggie and I slid inside the brig. Before us was a corridor of cells, two floors high, each cell behind a glowing blue force field identical to the magical energy cages the Enclave had thrown Ditsidu, Calamity and me into a less than a week ago. The sound of weeping drifted through the air. Most of the cells were empty. Most. There were ponies here. Not just bucks and mares, but foals too. Some prisoners paced in their cells. Others huddled on metal cots. They were from the wasteland. They looked filthy compared to the stark cleanliness of the enclave vessel. I recoiled as I found the source of crying. A mare cradling a foal. The colt's body limp in her hooves. 
having died in captivity. There were two guards inside, standing at a rear airlock, and they both reacted to the door. I thought I heard something, one of them said as they moved from their positions, looking about. I shifted, moving out of the way as one passed me, his tail swishing inches from me. Part of me wanted to draw out little Macintosh and shoot him in the head, point blank, but the noise could draw the whole ship down on us. I wish I had Velvet Remedy with her anaesthetic spell with us, or Life Bloom, or Zenith with her paralyzing hoof strikes. In their absence, I did the next best thing. My horn glowed, giving away my position, as I wrapped my telekinesis about their necks and squeezed till they stopped struggling. Reggie pulled off her hood and gave one of the limp guards a kick. Help me disable these energy fields. I pulled mine off too, choosing to have faith that we could trust the prisoners not to give us away. I moved to the control terminal for the cells. As Reggie and I began to work, I couldn't help but comment. If it makes any difference, I'm proud of you. You choose to help these ponies over your revenge. Regina Grimfeather squawked a laugh. Ain't your approval I'm aiming for, but thank you anywho. At my curious look, she sighed. Cages. Wherever my brother is now, I want his approval. And this is what I think he'd want me to do. What I think he'd do in my place. My mind flashed to the young male griffin buying a bent tin can from Silverbell just to make her happy. I think you're right, I offered. I mean, I didn't know him for long, but from what I did see of him, yeah, he would. Reggie nodded. Revenge ain't worth anything if I dishonor his memory in the process. She looked to me, a small tear in one eye. I was always wanting to do stuff like this, you know? Me too, of course, she hastily added. But I wanted to be the hero. He just wanted to make something better of the Griffin's role in Equestria. She smiled bleakly. Sometimes... I think he took Stern and Herlock as a personal affront, and wanted to try to help balance things out. Yo! One of the prisoners called out. I rotated towards the voice, and saw Tracker. The Jade Pegasus slammed his forehooves against the energy field, ignoring the feedback. This is not things are supposed to be! Get out while you still can, before they get you too! Not without taking all of you with us! I said with a determined smile. More ponies were getting up moving to the edges of the magical barriers, staring at Reggie and I with mixed expressions of hope and disbelief. Welcome to your rescue! The sound of klaxons filled the brig, and I spun to Reggie, eyes wide, certain that some pony had triggered an alarm, and we were about to be overwhelmed by Enclave soldiers. Then, we felt the first dull thuds vibrating through the floor. The brig was close to the overcast exterior, and had a terrible inkling the airlock was for easy, high-altitude disposal of prisoners, and we could feel the impact of what had to be the cathedral's anti-aircraft cannons. Reggie returned my gaze. We're here! I had never seen such disciplined and orderly chaos as the Enclave Mobile Siege Platform in the heat of battle. Every Pegasus knew where to go and what to do, and they were doing it rapidly under the barked orders of their commanders. With the military channel down, officers had taken wing, brushing the ceiling with the tips of their feathers as they shouted down to the troops and across the ship to each other. No pony questioned the apparently lone Enclave soldier moving with purpose through the corridors and out into one of the overcast's hangar bays, laden down with rucksacks. Where to, Lil Pip? Calamity asked. You'll like this, I replied from beneath the zebra cloak. You're going to steal one of the Enclave's sky tanks. Good. 
I could almost hear the grin breaking across his face. The Enclave owes us for the Sky Bandits. There's an exterior airlock we need to pull up to once we free the ship, Reggie added. Got some extra passengers to take aboard. The entire ship flooded with the tense sound of brass, drums and violins. The heavy classical music, replaced by the stirring battle anthem, Flight of the Shadow Bolts. This is it, ponies. The voice of Colonel Leaf boomed over the music. This is the moment all your training and all your experience has prepared you for. This is the battle you were born for. It's time to separate the Pegasi from the Griffins. It's time to kick Red Eye's ass and teach him that crossing the Enclave, murdering our brothers and sisters, was his ultimate folly. We fight in the name of every Pegasus ignominiously massacred in the Splendid Valley attack. The monitors along the walls came to life. The Enclave emblem replaced by slowly scrolling names in red. Every Pegasus killed in the Splendid Valley Balefire bomb. I forced myself not to look, not to read each name. I knew I should. I was responsible. But if I did, I also knew I wouldn't be able to go on. We fight in the name of our loved ones, our home, and our enclave. As we made our way across the hangar deck towards one of the black and green armoured tanks, the flight of the Shadowbolts began to crescendo. The hangar door growled open to the smoky yellow sky. Explosions of black smoke pockmarked the haze as anti-aircraft shells filled the sky. A squad of Pegasi in black carapace armour shot past the opening, embattled with a wing of dark green shield-protected alicorns. I could hear the sounds of magical energy discharges and automatic gunfire from the world below, making into a nerve-wracking din. The first sky tanks and bombing chariots took off, flying out of the throat of the ship and into the heart of the war. Calamity opened the largest sky tank we could find, one with multiple plasma cannons, the kind like the one Calamity had shot Topaz with, too big for even a battle saddle, and space for a dozen armoured soldiers. He pushed himself to the front, strapping himself into the flight harness while Reggie and I took our places in the back. I noted the name stenciled onto the side of the sky tank before climbing aboard. Tortoise. A pair of Enclave soldiers came trotting up into the back of the tortoise, their helmets in their muzzles. They'd seen Calamity strapping in and were expecting a ride. Reggie tossed back her hood, becoming visible for just a moment, grinning as I closed the door on them. Sorry, Bucks. This one's taken. Their stunned expressions were priceless. Go now! I told Calamity, tossing back my own hood the moment the door was shut. I looked over the door, the pony in my head panicking as I realised I had no idea how to lock it. Now! Now is good! Go now! I didn't want to give the two bucks time to recover, open the door and gun us down. Calamity spread his wings inside the armoured enclosure of the tortoise's cockpit, pumping twice, and I felt the tank lift from the hangar floor. A moment later, we were shooting out of the hangar door, the horizontal slit windows of the tortoise glowing with the sickly golden light of the Everfreeze dawn. Beneath us was a massive complex of metal, stone and brown concrete. The cathedral. High in its centre rose an airy gothic structure of steepled roofs, flying buttresses and rosy stained glass. Ringing out around it was a heavily fortified castle. Thick walls, towers and battlements. Tower strongholds held anti-aircraft guns identical to the ones that had once protected Friendship City. There was even a moat. And I could see the shadow of something the size of three dozen ponies swimming about in it. Beyond the castle's outer walls and moat, the Everfree Forest was nothing but blackened ash and severed stumps for at least a mile in every direction. A deep gorge knifed through the land on three sides, 
spanned by only a single fortress-like bridge. The scorched land was filled with ponies. Not just dozens, not just hundreds. Thousands of ponies wearing Red Eye's colours were engaging the Enclave in a ferocious battle. Red Eye's troops fought from trenches and pillboxes. More soldiers lined the walls of the castle, pouring bullets into the sky. Red Eye's alicorns and griffins met the Pegasi in the skies. It still seemed like a horribly lopsided battle. Bombing wagons rained high explosives down on the fortress from high enough above to be out of range. The raptors alone could level the cathedral with concentrated fire. Goddesses knew what the overcast itself could do. Two of the raptors from the overcast had joined four more, encircling the cathedral, bombarding it with heavy plasma fire. I assumed the third raptor was busy hunting the raptor lenticular. Three of the raptors were showing signs of damage from shelling. One of them was smoking badly and had begun to cant, drifting out of position. Lamp circled us around, keeping us out of the heavy line of fire. We drew up to the brig airlock. Tracker already had it open, waiting for us. I opened the door to the tortoise as Calamity backed us up to the overcast. The Thunderhead siege platform was barely moving now. Jumping from it to our sky tank would be more nerve-wracking than actually dangerous. I moved into position to help them. Regina climbed into the seat of one of the plasma cannons. The first pony, a light grey mare with a shockingly purple mane, moved up to the edge of the airlock. She gulped, her knees shaking, her brow beading with the effort not to look down. It's okay, I coaxed. You can do it. Our attention, and the attention of every pony in the battle, was suddenly wrenched downward by a horrific, equestria-shaking bellow. Something huge. Dark and horrifying rose up from the cathedral, a black and monstrous shape against the smoke-filtered sun. Great, angry red eyes poured hatred down on us as it brutalized the air with massive, leathery wings. And then it moved towards one of the raptors, bellowing balefire. As it moved, I could make out pony-sized claws and spines of the two-tone green of its scales, marred by deep scars that looked more surgical than battleborn. I glimpsed an odd, mechanical glow coming from inside one of the wounds which hadn't fully healed. There was a dragon in the Everfree Forest. And not just any dragon, the lunar fucking granddaddy of all dragons. An ancient dragon so old it must have already been a huge, gigantic, terrifying, enormous, totally all-grown-up dragon back when Spike was only a baby. And it was fighting on Red-Eye's side. The dragon roared again grasping the raptor in its claws as three of the others turned their weapons towards it. Dragon killers, Calamity had called them. Well, this was their chance to prove themselves worthy of that title. The dragon blasted the captive raptor with choking black smoke, and then howled as the other raptors lanced it with bright pastel beams of magical energy. It flicked its tail, producing massive spikes that glowed with eldritch energy, and lashed out at one of the attacking raptors, cutting deep grooves in its forward armour. My jaw hit the floor of the tortoise. Those spikes were magically enhanced. I stared at the dragon's unnatural, glowing red eyes, and knew immediately who they reminded me of. Red eye cybernetically enhanced a dragon! I blinked, the little pony in my head petrified, and then spun. Okay, that's it. We're getting down there right now! I called out, wrapping the escaping prisoner ponies in my magic and floating them unceremoniously into the tortoise. Calamity! Get us the fuck out of the sky! I closed the door, apologising to the prisoners as I pulled myself onto the other plasma cannon chair. The chair and controls were made for a larger pony, 
and I had about as much skill with magical energy weapons as I did with sword fighting. But as long as I didn't manage to shoot the damn tank we were in, I figured even I could help. Reggie was already firing, taking shots at other sky tanks and enclave bombing chariots. The high-pitched yelp of her plasma cannon was making my ears hurt. Oh yeah! Reggie shouted over the cacophony as one of her shots turned an enclave bombing wagon into a cascading explosion of rainbow pyrotechnics. She was already swinging towards her next target before the fireworks had subsided. I love me this turtle! It's a tortoise! I corrected as I linked my pit leg into the turret, downloading the sky tank's tag and maximizing the value of my targeting spell. Whatever! She said with a dismissive wave of her wing. Hey, Calamity! Can we keep it? Her next three shots took out two carapace-armoured enclave pegasi, freeing up a very surprised-looking alicorn. Some of Red-Eye's troops along the cathedral wall opened fire on the tortoise as Calamity brought us close. I gasped in dismay as two of the escapees crumpled, dead, crimson flowers bursting across their bodies. Several of the other escapees screamed. The more level-headed ponies stepped in, trying to prevent a panic. Tracker belted out a command, ordering everyone to lay flat on the floor and make themselves as small a target as possible. I floated open one of the rucksacks filled with medical supplies as I looked around the interior of the tank. The bullets hadn't penetrated the tank's armour, so much as ignored it completely. They weren't even bullet holes. Red-Eye's troops were using bullets enchanted with an armour bypass. I turned my plasma cannon on the troops on the wall, trying to clear a path for us to land without losing any more ponies. Suddenly, between that and the dragon, this battle was looking a whole lot less lopsided. The dragon roared overhead. The noise from the battle outside barely disturbed the almost pietistic atmosphere of the cathedral's central building. The building surrounding it had proven to be the barracks and the military training grounds, now emptied as this half of Red-Eye's army engaged the Enclave invaders. The other half, the larger half as I learned from a few hacked terminals, were amassing in Philadelphia. In just a few days, the Philadelphia ruins was going to become the site of the biggest battle in Equestria since, and possibly before, the Pony Zebra War and thousands of innocents were going to die in the crossfire or be exterminated by the Enclave if I didn't manage to stop it. We'd left the escapees in one of those barracks, instructing them to barricade themselves inside until we returned. I couldn't help but think we had taken them from the proverbial frying pan and into the equally proverbial fire, but there simply wasn't any place in the Everfree that was truly safe, except maybe Zakora's hut, and I was sorely tempted to have Calamity fly them there while I pressed ahead but my gut told me we didn't have time for anything else. Once I freed the unicorns Red-Eye intended to sacrifice in his damned ascension, we would need to leave very swiftly. I was already planning on levitating the lot of them in tow while Calamity flew the tortoise as fast as he could go. With any luck, it would be the speediest flying tortoise in history. The trio of us snuck through the cathedral. Calamity had left the enclave armor in the tortoise and was back under a zebra stealth cloak. This time... It was Reggie who walked around visible. There were enough talon griffins in Red-Eye's forces that no pony gave her a second look. Okay, this is kind of creeping me out. She admitted as she strode past a squad of Red-Eye's soldiers who were running to garrison part of the building, one of them stopping to smile and wave at her as they passed. We passed under an archway. Carved into the stone was a message. Equality is harmony. Robed ponies strode casually past us, humming a low tune and paying Regina no attention at all. We saw two more up ahead, 
admiring one of the many pinkish stained glass windows. A third walked up to join them, my ears catching the phrase, Walk in the blessings of unity. I stared at the window, ignoring the monster depicted, and instead focusing on the pinkish tones of the glass itself. A surge of dread hit me as I realised that all the windows in the cathedral were suffused with the pink cloud. My little pony conjured up images of the windows slowly leaking minute an ounce of the necromantic poison into the building. I've never heard of him, one of the roped ponies asked. What happened to him? No pony knows. The pony teased and then straightened up. No, really. Princess Lister and Luna defeated him and turned him into a statue. He was still in Cantalot when the apocalypse happened. Some say the attack on Cantalot woke him up, only for the pink lad to prove as lethal to spirits as it was to the princesses. Some say he's been a statue all this time, in which case he was probably destroyed when the enemy obliterated the Cantalot ruins. And some say, the third blurted out, that Discord was released by the war, but he was so weakened that he's just an itty-bitty spirit running around the equestrian wasteland putting ammo and bottle caps into random containers. She grinned, and then paused, tapping her muzzle. Or was that the ghost of Pinkie Pie? The two other ponies stared at her blankly for a moment, then burst into giggles. Icicle, you're so random! Up ahead was another huge archway with wide-open, sainted glass doors. Another bonmo from the red eye engraved into the stonework, inlaid with bronze. Remember, you are not here because you are better than those who are not, but because you are better than those who you were. Beyond was the main theatre of the cathedral, a voluminous room of pillars, high arches, and towering windows of dazzling stained glass. The room was filled with robed ponies sitting in pews, their attentions on a mare standing at a pulpit. Do not be alarmed, my fellow disciples of the new unity, she was saying. Let not your heart feel dismay as we hear the roars and rumbles of the violence that surrounds us like a storm. Instead, rejoice. We have come to this place through fire and darkness, but today is the day we have all been waiting for. Today is the day of Red Eye's ascension and the birth of the new unity. I felt like I'd been hit by lightning. Today. Red Eye's going to try to become a god today. Now in the middle of all of this. Remember, disciples, as you hear the screams and the thunder of weapons outside these halls, that Red Eye has told us from the very beginning that this day would be born just as we all were, covered in blood. That... She pointed towards one of the towering windows as the passing dark shape of the dragon turned the majestic stained glass to shattered greys. Is not to be feared, but to be loved. That is a sign of our salvation. The dragon came to Red-Eye weak, blind, dying of old age, and Red-Eye gave him new life. And like the dragon, soon we will all be reborn. Reggie pulled out a cigarette and lit it. We are so fucked! I turned, knowing that there was a stairwell near here. We needed to go down. This way! I said as I spotted a familiar-looking tapestry. I led them into a side hall that connected the chapel to the cathedral's school and nursery wing. Through open doors on either side of us, we could see the workrooms where the disciples of the new Unity were creating school books and educational materials for the new schools that Red Eye intended to establish all across Equestria. The rooms reminded me severely of the Ministry of Image. The doors to the school wing opened, and several robed ponies herding a gaggle of colts and fillies, most of whom sounded excited more than frightened. 
Several of the children I saw with sick alarm were wearing Alicorn costumes. But we want to see the battle! One cult protested. We want to see the good guys win! We already know Red Eye will win. The adult intoned. It has been ordained. Now move along. Red Eye wants you all safe in the shelter. Another of the adult ponies was opening a side door leading to descending stone stairs. That was the door we wanted. That should take us down to... Cyber Surgery. No, no, that was sub-level two, I thought. What was sub-level one? The cult whined. We know it's outdated, but we want to see it. Down that way, I told Reggie. As soon as the children are through. The adolescent griffin turned to gaze towards the emptiness of my invisible direction. How is it that you know where we're supposed to go? She asked, raising an eyebrow. Have you been here before? Seen a map? Sort of, I admitted. I'm working off a fragment of memories I caught during my Alicorn's telepathic skullfuck. Oh, the nostalgia I had for the innocent days of Stable 2, when I didn't even know what skullfuck meant. Much less had a reason to apply the term to an experience of my own. Ah, well, I'm glad something good came of it. Not a pun I needed, but at least Reggie had the good grace to wince. The music in my ear bloom erupted in a painful blast of static and nearly tore it from my ear. I was immediately thankful that I did not, as the next sound I heard was possibly the most wonderful sound in the equestrian wasteland. Good morning, children! End of part one. This is another long one, folks. Tune in next time for part two of this chapter. Let's have some music while I catch my breath. Let's see. Skybolt with Somewhere Beyond the Sea. Enjoy, people! Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.